This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by Destinations International, the DMO Sectors Trade Association. And the acclaimed Advocacy Summit is coming to Houston on October 26th through 28th. This year's summit is gonna concentrate less on big ideas and instead focus on completing the transition to a community shared value. If you're there, you'll walk away with the strategies and tactics for successfully embracing your civic role within your community. You can learn more at destinationsinternational.org. Just hit the upcoming events icon and learn more about the Advocacy Summit as well as the Convention Sales and Services Summit at National Harbor on October the 7th. And now it's on to our show. Lee Tassif began his career in the destination marketing sector at the Canton Stark County Convention and Visitors Bureau back in 1985. Five years later, he was named the director of the Mansfield Richland County CVB and began transitioning a traditional convention and visitors bureau into an effective marketing development and public relations DMO that promotes the entire community as a place for every possible pursuit. He is past president of the Ohio Association of Convention and Visitor Bureaus and the Ohio Travel Association, and he has served on the board of the Ohio Hotel and Lodging Association. He has also served as a longtime member of the Ohio Tourism Roundtable and is an industry representative to the Ohio Tourism Caucus. Lee was a Paul Sherlock Award winner in 2015. That is the Ohio travel industry's highest honor, and he says that the travel and tourism industry has allowed him to have the most fun jobs ever, and ain't that the truth. Lee Tassif, welcome to DMOU. Hey, thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. This is this could be fun. Yeah, it should be. And uh, we've had a great career together apart, if you will. Um, you were one of our very, very first yeah. clients back in the 90s, and we have had just a ton of fun. And it's great to have you on uh, the show today. You know, Mansfield, Ohio. So I was a student at Kenyon College, which was probably, I don't know, an hour or so away. And Mansfield was a destination for me back then because you had the closest McDonald's, right? But there's so much more to Mansfield and Richland County today. And one of your top attractions became one in large part because of your work to make it so. For fans of Shawshank Redemption, that reformatory, yeah, that's in Mansfield. To start off, tell us how you and your team saved that iconic site from demolition and turned it into the international attraction that it is today. I wish I could take credit for all of it, but I will not, and I would dare not. Basically, a small group of leaders, there's only one left living actually these days, uh, who came together and knew that the reformatory was on was on the chopping block for the state. And they had already knocked down the biggest prison in the state in Columbus within the last, the decade previous. So they knew it was serious. They approached the state to like, go ahead and knock down everything behind it, but leave the original building, you know, built in 1886 alone. And so that got some traction and in walks Shawshank in 1993. So you have the movie coming in. Now you have people in the development department also talking to the Department of Prisons Corrections saying, hey, whoa, 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 leave this place alone for another six months. We actually have you know, a Hollywood movie being shot here. All those things converged to keep it from being knocked down. 
once the movie was done, then they took everything behind the, the reformatory down. But the, I think the state was also happy to hand that building over because as they learned before, it, it's a, that thing's built to withstand anything. And it would have taken them a lot of time and probably more money to try to knock it down. It's one of those just things, everything converged at the right place at the right time and was just happy to be here when it all happened. Obviously, our organization loved it, supported anything they wanted to do, but that's how things really got started. And I'm happy to be on that board now. I've been on it since 2001, and it's been a fun ride most of the time. So the state owned it, obviously, in the beginning when it was you know, a state reformatory. Yeah, yeah. So who actually owns the property today? The Mansfield Reformatory Preservation Society is the official name of the nonprofit that owns it. Some prominent people with connections stepped in, talked to the state, got that deal done. At that point in time, we were way in the background going, oh, yeah, 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 do this. We weren't out front because the people involved were also involved in preservation in the community. They were the absolute right people. In fact, the original architect, who's literally an architect, is the only living member of that group. And he still serves on the board. He's a hell of a guy. That's how it got saved. We, when we stepped in was everything that came after when we really kicked it into gear. Plus, back then, we were also in the middle of some high-level controversies and people fighting us for our money. We had to fight through that stuff to get to the point where we could start running forward again. So talk to us then about the challenges of trying to promote an attraction that originally the state wanted to tear down. And actually, in the early days of preservation of that facility, they really weren't sure they wanted to be a tourism attraction. So talk to me about the challenges of, of trying to move them from, from where they, they were in a preservation mode to now being one of your top attractions in Mansfield. They knew they wanted to save it, and that was fine. They knew they wanted it open, eventually as a museum. Yeah, there was pushback from time to time because they were very overly protective. I think they wanted it to be their idea. They wanted to do it their way. And as you know, sometimes you've got people from the, you know one step away who see a much bigger picture. I think that's the role we played initially. We always saw the bigger picture because it got saved. It was in a movie. You know, people love to hunt ghosts there. It had a ton of potential. It just had to be preserved and it had to find a way to make money. So in our world, it was like, hey, we did a lot of early PR, brought them a lot of media, you know, back as far as the late 90s, which started to get them noticed. We eventually uh, got them at a, at an article, a major article in USA Today in 02, which started to sell out their ghost hunts. So all that stuff in the background just started to push their level of awareness much higher. So we concentrated on those things. But we always thought long-term, bigger picture. And yes, sometimes that was not always welcome. That is a really careful dance. For instance, the, we did their very first professionally done brochure. They had done it themselves. One of the board members originally had, you know, desktop publishing software on his PC and he wanted to do it. 
we offered to the board, let me put our designer, our PR rep, let's, let's put some of the people we work with on it. Let us give you an example of what could be done. So we did and got approval from the officers to do that. But for one year, those board members who didn't like what we did killed it the second year. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It never, it never saw the light of day the second year. They went back to the, the original way they did it. So that's just an example of they saw us as overstepping our bounds because it was their reformatory. And that was my, that's probably my first example of a hard pushback. So sometimes what we do and the fact that we see it from a much bigger perspective sometimes is not seen as helpful. It's almost seen as controversial or adversarial because we're stepping in to help them get better, but they don't see it that way. Yeah. They think everything's fine. Right. Oh yeah. And I, I was asked to join the board as a marketing presence. One guy joined the board as the political connection. The other one joined as the financial presence. We, I always call them the Butch and Sundance because they were, yeah. <laughs> the financial and the political guy were fantastic. So they did their thing. I did our thing, but they were part of that group, so to speak. I wasn't, I was seen as an outsider. So we continued to do what we did by bringing in people, by bringing in the, the again, the press, the media, who dabbled a little bit with our, with our PR side of things and just got them noticed. The funny part of it was, and again, I, I say this stuff now and it's all turned out well, but then they would take credit for what we did. And honestly, when that happened, it was probably good. Like we let that run, even though I'm sitting on the board explaining to them how things are getting done outside of their, their boardroom, they started to accept like, wow, we're doing this and look what's happening. And at that point in time, we'd step back a little bit. We'd still do what we're doing, but it wasn't about me competing for attention or admiration or a pat on the back. We knew what we were doing. We knew what we had to do, the things that we were doing, because they weren't there yet. They were still a fledgling operation. They were largely into preservation. Their ghost hunts and their haunted houses and those things were still on an amateur level. They hadn't progressed. They needed to get more professionally done. So after the whole brochure thing, it just kind of backed up a little bit. Still did what we did and just got went about getting it done. It's almost like keeping your head down, doing what you know how to do and making things work. Whether we had, you know, photo work done there, video work, drone footage, artwork, you name it. The one thing we did do that got uh, some traction, we offered to underwrite a good chunk of their very first professionally done website. The only thing, the only restrictions we put on it was do a RFP and get multiple bids. And so they did it. And then we just wrote the check and they did it. And that laid the foundation for their web presence after that. I mean, some of my peers out there will know there's a lot of stuff we do that's big, but sometimes it's the small stuff along the way that makes the difference. We paid for groups to become 501c3s so they could collect donations. We put deposits on events because they didn't have the, the, the money to do that. Or we designed their websites or 
gave a marketing campaigns. We funded additional staff. They could build revenue streams, bridge funding because they were having a hard time, underwrite costs for bringing in talent to make an event profitable. Just stuff like that along the way that helps a lot of attractions. We did some similar things for OSR, just a little bit here and there, but always the PR side of it, we were in high gear, always, because we knew eventually what they were able to do was going to meet the expectations. And boy, when that stuff hit probably about a decade ago, right before we started hosting Shawshank events, things really took off, really took off. Now there's a whole new uh, management team there. They get us. They understand where we came from. They understand we created the Shawshank Trail, which created international uh, recognition for them. Stuff like that that they couldn't do because they were busy preserving the place. That was always their first priority. We're like, okay, if you're going to do that, we'll do the stuff on the outside. But even, even with the Shawshank Trail, it took years to get them to put the logo on their website <laughs> or that logo in their, in their brochure. There was always some weird undercurrent fighting back because they wanted to do it themselves or they didn't quite understand. Some people eventually got weeded off the board or their staff eventually found their way out the door because once they started down that path to become bigger, better, more professional, actually making money. And they do support themselves. That reformatory or OSR, as we call it, the house state reformatory has the ability to make its own money and be self-perpetuated. It's a true success story. They know how to make money. They know what they're worth. If a, an artist wants to shoot a video there or Hollywood or TV or whoever comes in wants to shoot there, they know exactly what they're worth. And because they do, they present that to the production company or the producers and they get it. So it's really fun watching all that stuff now, but it's, it's just humorous now to go back and go, yep, we kept pushing little by little and then we would get pushed back yeah. or we help them do something they would, they would then take credit for. And we just nodded our head, sat back, said, okay, it is still going in the right direction. Yeah. And I say all that stuff affectionately because it was a dance back and forth. And today we all get along famously and everybody's going in the same direction and having their success just makes us smile every time they do something big. Yeah. And that's, that's just fun. Was there a moment where the initial preservationist moment switched over to let's go make some money <laughs> and understand that you're their partner, not the challenger. What was that moment that all of a sudden the light bulb went off for them? I think it was the, the, the two gentlemen, the, the guy who was, we all came on the board at the same time. The one of them was, became their controller. He knew there was money to be made. He was a businessman at heart. He wasn't caught up in the personal at all since he wasn't one of the preservation people, one of the originals. When he came on board in 01 was the beginning of them starting to act like a business. And so they realized there was money to be made. So they would try different events. There was weddings there, which they stopped doing because they caused more damage, believe it or not, than any other single events. (laughs) Because the guests would just roam around the place drunk and tear it apart. 
but they had a, a bridal show, Glamour of a Slammer. Uh, they did other things like that, and they hit with modicum of success. Then eventually, because it wasn't me saying it, it was somebody else, hey, we need to line up all of our events with who we are. And uh, yeah, my hands up first going, absolutely fantastic idea. What do you got in mind? And so when the events and the things that they did there, the who they would rent to started to get in sync is when they started to make money because then they weren't wasting their time on things that weren't worth it. Yeah. And that leads us to where they're at now where they get calls from production companies, they get calls from TV shows, they get calls from uh, people coming to film documentaries and things. They started to see where those pockets of money were being made. And, and Jack, who was the guy behind the, the finances, knew it was there. Now he knew what we did. He knew how we were doing it. And he and I had a great relationship because him I could actually tease in the meetings about what well, we did this and he just grinned and laughed. <laughs> yeah right like yeah yeah i know that but i'm not saying it <laughs> it was fun because that was more of the wink and the nods like okay we are on the same page we're just gonna do our thing and and do it well and they're gonna manage the business side of it so along the way you could see it start to come together and that was probably mid-2000s late 2000s before 2010 where it started to really Coalesce. And it's about that time that we solidified the Shawshank Trail, which brought them a whole new wave of guests and from all over the world. And it got us noticed. I mean, today, Shawshank has been worth a couple of billion dollars in publicity. The new folks that are there now fully comprehend what's come before and that all that stuff helped get them to where they're at. And we just sit back and smile. That part of it's just fun to watch. Eventually, they got very astute at recruiting people to come on the board to fill in areas that they didn't have expertise in. So all that stuff happened all about the same time. Yeah. Anybody who has not been to the reformatory really needs to find a reason to do that. It is one of the most chilling moments I think I've had as a quote-unquote museum goer to be able to walk through that building and just feel the abject pain and suffering that went on there mm -hmm. and look at just how small the living quarters were for those who were incarcerated there. And yeah, there were bad people there and they probably deserved to be there. But at the same time, you just go, I can't even imagine standing up in that cell because it's so small. It's a chilling experience. Yeah, you and I, our shoulders touch from the wall to the edge of the bunk. Yeah, absolutely. So third question, in your wildest dreams through this whole dance that you've gone from preservation to realization to now a full goose bozo attraction that everybody understands is an attraction. Mm -hmm. In your wildest dreams, did you ever imagine that saving the reformatory would play out to offer you the opportunity to host one of Ohio's biggest rock festivals, which is coming up this weekend. Tell us about incarceration and how you helped make this a reality. The first answer to your question is no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us could see that. It makes total sense now. 
it makes perfect sense. Uh, because when I told you, like when they started to shift to events that fit their personality, that was the beginnings of where they're at right now. As far as, you know, where credit credit is due, again, I, I tip my hat to the current OSR staff and their board because they are, they have a great ability to take things from concept to reality. And if they don't perform well, none of this happens at all. Where we come in is this is a story about long-term investment, really. We knew what they could be long, long ago. So our job was getting them on that stage, first nationally, then internationally, whether it was the tree falling over and us, you know, fanning the flames of that, whatever it was, and getting on BBC Network or articles showing up in, in South Africa or New Zealand. Right. But all those things, you create a ton of attention over time. OSR then caught the attention of the original investor in what is now incarceration, which is an awesome tattoo fest, major tattoo fest, and rock concert, heavy metal rock concert. Talk about a merge of things that just makes sense. Yeah. And where else would you do that? You're in front of Shawshank Prison for crying out loud. Absolutely. Even the artists were like, wow, we can't believe we're here. And they're taking tours and they're videoing things. So you can imagine just the attention is just exponential. But where we came in is making sure that they got noticed every step of the way. And then eventually you become that overnight sensation like Inc. is. But that's where it really starts. We do a lot of info services for events, some small, some large. So we cut our teeth at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course and events like Tough Mudder, where with Tough Mudder, we figured out that we needed to have dozens and dozens of rolls of duct tape in our info booth because people don't want to lose their shoes when they get them sucked into the mud. So once we figured that out, we just sent out the communication that everybody come into the booth, hey, bring us boxes of tape, not rolls, boxes. Now it was like you were feeding time at the fish pond and everybody flocked to our booth. We're like, got it. Now they're used to coming to us. Now we play a role by basically representing, in this case, Tough Mudder or it was Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. By default, we become their info services. We're representing them whether they, they know it or not. So we became good at that. And one of our core competencies is getting to know people on the ground, you know, kind of like knowing the janitor sometimes because they can get you in with the secretary. Right. That's one of my staff's core competencies. Yeah. So we know all those people. And so we learned how the event ran. We're like, hey, we can do this. We can do info services for you, but they didn't quite get it. So they thought you want to represent the community. So they put us in a tent, a community tent in the corner of the place and it was terrible. So the second year we're like, listen, we can really do those things. Give us a prime spot, which they did. And we got to put up, you know, the, where our colors had include lime green. So you had the, you know, the 20 foot tall info tent, info banners, everything. Everybody who walked in the gate came to us. Now we know that you've got to have information and be plugged into all the operations, all the communications network. We got to know what they know because we're going to answer a lot of questions because we're the Bureau, we're Destination Mansfield, but we're representing Inc. So we became that partner who took all those people on when they first came in and got them to where they had to go. Then they'd come back to us, ask more questions. Or, you know, we were collecting credit cards, weapons, weapons, um, <laughs> lots of cell phones that people brought to us. Yeah, I know you're laughing at that, but... <laughs> It's something somebody said to him when he came in the, the gate, thought, I should probably put this somewhere else. 
So he handed us what he had brought in and then came and got it on the way out. That's just so cool. (laughs) (laughs) They were great people. We had lots of fun with everybody, but we became seamless to the event. And our main contact finally understood. It's like, we get you. You need to be on the inside. You need to be right at the front lines of everything. And then we help. So now we're on their website. They're linked. People looking for information on Inc. site come to us for the community things. One of the things we fully comprehend, which even the Inc. people didn't quite get at first, they need to survive and be successful. Or it doesn't matter what we do and how well we represent the community. If their event tanks, nothing comes back. Yeah. So we had told them, we need you to be successful. And this is how, this is an expertise we bring to you to make you successful. So teach us everything you know. Then we became, we become great frontline partners. And it worked the second year. Unfortunately, COVID killed last year. Yeah. And because Inc. was a new kid on the block, they had people in the industry, I think, trying to snuff them out. But they did it so well. And the theme was so dead on perfect that they got respect. And eventually like, okay, we should partner rather than try to, you know, suffocate this event. So now they've got a much bigger partner and it's fantastic. We didn't know if our role was going to survive, but it has because we proved ourselves and the people that we worked with from that original team were like, yep, these people know what they're doing. Let's give them another space. Actually, our tent will be a little bigger than, than last year's and we'll have some expanded duties. But it's nice to be in on the front lines of things, being seamless with the event, because you and I talked about this offline. That event doesn't have to be in a smaller community like Mansfield. Yeah. This event can be anywhere where it's so much easier to jump off a highway and stop right there. Granted, this is kind of on the highway, but it's not, you know, in a large city where they're used to having, you know, massive concerts. This takes a lot of logistics. But that was also one of our roles is we're the matchmaker. Hey, I need the police. Here you talk to you. I need to talk to safety services and I need this the permit, but got it. Here we go. So we introduced their on the ground team to tons of people so that they could get to know everybody. And now they all know them. Yeah. And we get random questions from now on. But that first two years was how do we help you succeed? We need a, we have a huge laundry list of people we got to work with because we're not used to being in a place this small. Fantastic. What do you need? And that was us. They still call today with certain questions, how to get in touch with now, like our health department. (laughs) We're like, yes, got the right people you talk to. Here you go. Right. Yeah. That's part of how we help things be successful. I should say most of it is behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. Which I think, you know, from being in the industry, you just make things happen. You make things easier. And then you step back and everybody takes a bow for it. And you just kind of grin going, Fantastic. That's our job. Glad this yep. thing's happened. And the people you work with know you have value. And having that uh, relationship back and forth is great because they trust us. We trust them. And having incarceration happening this year post-COVID and some other major concerts didn't, we're over the top on that one. It's like fantastic. Something this big in Mansfield, which, yes, we leverage that for name recognition because, hey, now Mansfield's getting you know known for something else and something big. And in a time when some other events didn't survive, this did. And this other partner chose to invest in it to make it survive, which means they believe in its future. Right. 
So all the stuff we went through early on makes this all worthwhile right now. Yeah. And they believe in you to help them make it happen. Yeah. It's, it's where you want to be yeah, in the absolutely. whole supply chain of everything that you have, a, you have value, but it took, it took a year of convincing to do it. And I will give OSR's exec director credit because they're like, Hey, you need to hook up with these people. And they're like, who are these people? <laughs> they didn't know a convention bureau or a DMO at all. And they're like, no, you'll understand once you work with them. And so that's how the door got open to begin with. Yeah. And that's when the education started. Very, very cool. Well, congratulations. I can't wait to hear how it all pans out in the next week or so. But um, before we let you go, got to do the bonus round question. So we know the reformatory was the site of Shawshank Redemption. Sure. But there's been a whole bunch, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, there's been a whole bunch of music videos. Mm -hmm. Plus, people don't remember movies like Tango and Cash, Air Force One, Fallen Angels, and the upcoming Stallone film, Escape Plan 3, all shot at the Reformatory. You missed Escape Plan 3. It went straight to DVD <laughs> or streaming. <laughs> I, I thought it was upcoming. It didn't upcome. Huh? It just went right to DVD. Okay. Well, anyway, but, but there you go. So tell me of, of all of those, the music videos, the Tango and Cash, the Escape Plan, all the movies, best story. What's the best story of filming at essentially Shawshank? I got one that's funny for OSR because of fans of Lil Wayne. Go DJ, I think is the name of the video, but the golden throne that he had painted in one of the cells is still there. And there are people almost every day who come, who ask for where that's at and want to take a picture of it. <laughs> the other thing is, this one's for me though. I was part of the original crew that took the, the scouting party for Shawshank around way back in, in 93 and got to be there through the filming and got to see things happen and got my name in the credits of what's now the number one rated movie of all time. Again, you don't know that's going to happen when it does. You just do your job. But that was one of the coolest things to sit in the premiere in, in our Renaissance theater, watch that whole thing roll. And you're just fascinated by seeing your town, you know, on a big screen. And then you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. I, my name, oh my God. There's my name. That is still, that's timeless. That's cool. That is, I can't top that one of all the outcomes from all of this stuff. Yeah. Very, very cool. Hey, Lee, we have always loved the way that you think and congratulations on building your destination. I know it's more than the reformatory. Uh, there's so much more to Mansfield and Richland County, but this has been that I don't know, that magnet that just began to grow mm -hmm. and, and what you've done with it very quietly under the radar and at sometimes not being noticed. But now I think everybody understands what you've been doing over the past decades to make that such a great mm -hmm. community. Congratulations for all you do. Thank you. Appreciate that. And OSR, the staff out there, they are absolutely fantastic partners. And again, I talked about you know, this industry giving me the most fun jobs I've ever done. It's just fun. Yeah. Because it's all, it all, it all worked. You could watch it from the beginning to the end and having been around long enough to watch it and to still be helping in their success. That's just fun. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and your peers. This is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. And thanks, too, to our sponsor, Destinations International, the DMO Sectors Trade Association, and the acclaimed Advocacy Summit coming back and coming to Houston on October 26th through the 28th. This year's summit will concentrate less on big ideas and instead focus us all on completing the transition to a community shared value. You can learn more at destinationsinternational.org, hit up the upcoming events icon, and learn more about the Advocacy Summit as well as Convention Sales and Services Summit at National Harbor on October the 7th. DMOPros.com is where you will learn more about our services for the DMO world, our book destination leadership, plus links to past editions of the Z News, the biggest DMO job board on the planet, not to mention links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>